0: We are reading from John chapter 14, as I just prayed. You're invited to turn there in your Bibles or to follow along in the screen behind me. This is just one sermon and a whole series of sermons from the Gospel of John. Remember, John is written to address the question, why should I believe in Jesus? Why is this so compelling? I hope this morning to give you a lot of reason as I explain this text. John 14, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14. If you want to pay attention to a couple of verses, note verses 5 and 6. John chapter 14, it says, "'Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going.'" Thomas said to him, "'Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way?' and greater works than these will, be, will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whoever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the Word of God. As I said, I'm going to be focusing on verses 5 and 6 uh, perhaps some of the well-known, most well-known verses in the Scriptures, but they may be new to you, and whether you've heard them many times or this is new, may God bless what we're about to hear. I am amazed often how we think about choice and the way it, fe- uh, way it functions in our lives. For many of us, choice is an exercise of freedom, and I'm very glad that in our nation we can exercise a great deal of freedom. It is better for you to have choices about what doctor you see, where, you're, where you send your children to be educated, or where you choose to donate your money. That is good that there is choice, and I am glad for that freedom. But in order for that freedom to be exercised profitably, there might, needs to be the limitation of reality. If there is not that limitation, that freedom actually becomes a burden that we eventually cannot bear. Now, that's a grand statement, I understand, so I want to explain to you what I mean in a couple of examples. Let us think, for example, dream with me just a moment. Imagine that I believed I should order a brand new 2024 Z06 Corvette. How many of you wouldn't enjoy that as well? So I went down to the dealership and I placed my order, my choice. I decided to do it. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say I did not even talk to my wife about it. It was that much of my choice. I got to decide. Now, you might imagine how that would turn out long term. At some point, reality would kick in. Maybe it's going to be another 25 years where I try to retire and it turns out all these payments on my new Corvette – or keeping me from being able to retire. Or maybe it's more immediate. My choice without a dose of reality kicks in when I try to sit in my 2020 Corvette, and it turns out it doesn't fit very well for someone who's six foot four. Or let's imagine a more serious example. That's gender identity. It may seem as though the freedom to choose what gender I am should be freeing. I can choose all kinds of things in life, including my identity. But in reality, many who have attempted to bring about this fundamental change in their reality later on realize that freedom without understanding reality leads to being captured by a prison of our own making. That is true not only of this question, it's true of many questions that we face including how we spend our money and the things that we choose to make important to us. Freedom without understanding reality leads to a burden we cannot bear. But here's the most serious example of all. How do we think about Jesus? Is He for you one possible way to find peace He's an assistant to you to help you become more of who you really are? Is he a way to satisfy the expectations of others? They expect you to be a Christian, so you might as well. Is it possible that your following of Jesus Christ actually becomes a choice you make that turns into a burden you will later discover you cannot bear? Is that possible? Do you fear that as a possibility? Or does it become apparent when we are reading through the gospels, especially the gospel of John, that as we read who Jesus is, we come to see that Jesus is actually a provision given to us by God, that Jesus is not simply one choice we make among others, but Jesus is actually the reality that helps us understand our freedom. It is not so much a choice we make as much as a recognition of the obvious. In the same way that I would have said about 45 minutes ago, you'd be a fool to deny the presence of the sun in our world. Now the example I was going to use doesn't work because the sun has disappeared. (laughs) Is it possible that Jesus Christ is presented to us in the Gospels not as a choice, but as an obvious example of the reality as it actually is. I obviously believe, as John is writing to us, that that is the case. And I want to show you that this morning for verses 5 and 6 of John chapter 14. In order to understand this question of whether Jesus is in fact this reality, we have to understand a little bit of why Jesus says these things in verses 5 and 6. And that takes us back to where we have been in the Gospel of John. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it is really important for you to understand where the disciples are as they're engaging this question about where Jesus is going. Jesus has told them in the last chapter that he is leaving them. And that brings a lot of uncertainty into the lives of the disciples. Jesus is leaving. How is that possible? One of the reasons that concerns them is because they had their own expectations about who Jesus would be and what he would do for them. I happen to be reading this morning in my morning devotions, From the book of Numbers, and there's a point in Numbers where Moses says to the people of Israel, when you enter into the promised land, get rid of all of those who are there. Everybody has to be driven out, not only them, but their places of worship. There can be no remnant of those who lived in the land, the promised land, before you arrived. The Israelites, if they did not see that Jesus Christ came as a fulfillment, not to drive out others... But to transform them, we're left in a place that many of the Israelites had in the moment in which Jesus walked on the earth. That is, their expectation of Jesus was that Jesus would drive out the Romans from the promised land and restore the Israelites to the time of David and Solomon and Hezekiah's day. And when Jesus says, "I'm leaving you and you can't come with me," they're thinking to themselves, "How that possible? Because Jesus, you haven't fulfilled your purpose. The Romans are still here. Hence their confusion. Even more pressingly, Jesus has told them that the way in which He will leave is that one of them will betray him. Imagine that. Jesus says, "And one of you will betray me up to this point." The resistance that Jesus has experienced, those who have really worked to harm Jesus, have all been exterior to Jesus' inner circle. Now Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. You can imagine the uncertainty that introduces into the lives of these disciples. For finally and most notably, Jesus tells him at the end of chapter 13 that where he is going, they will not be able to come. They will be separated from him. This is a very pressing kind of concern. Imagine someone that you love a great deal just leaving temporarily after you were with him for Christmas or Thanksgiving. Or imagine being with someone that you really love and you can see they're close to the end of their life. They say, I'm leaving. You feel that hurt very deeply. For these disciples, it's not just that Jesus is leaving. It is that Jesus is their Messiah who is leaving. They have put their hope in Jesus. They want to continue to be with him. And Jesus says, I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you cannot come. Hence the question that is formed there in verse 5. Thomas says, not only for himself, but also for all of the disciples, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Let me just help you understand that question. It's a question about how the disciples were supposed to respond. In the middle of all this uncertainty, their disappointment perhaps in what Jesus was saying, they're asking the question, and what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in response? It is a sort of question that not only resonates in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, It is the kind of question that is most basic to the human life. How are we supposed to respond to a Jesus who is like this? How do we respond? That leads us to Jesus, a singular answer in verse 6. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It bears your attention in fact, I was tempted to say and now I'm actually going to say it, I guess. When you're reading through the Gospel of John, I've really encouraged you to read to this gospel not just to know information about the Gospel of John, but to know Jesus. If you want to know where all this is leading, you can see we're leading eventually to the cross and then to the resurrection. But if you want to know the moment at which the claims of Jesus that are all being presented in the gospel of John, John is telling us over and over, believe in Jesus, here are the reasons why. There's no one like Jesus, why would you follow anyone else? If you're wondering at what point John finally says in the words of Jesus, and this who Je- is who Jesus is, this seems to me to be the moment. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You may have been wondering who I am. Let me tell you, this is who I am. This is my identity. And immediately what follows is this. Oh, so this is why I'm supposed to believe in you. This is why it's compelling. Here is the force of the argument of the gospel of John. I hope I'm not overstating that. I don't believe I am. So let me explain to you what Jesus means when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The key thing, at least one key thing to note about each one of these descriptions of Jesus is that they are given the definite article. They're given the definite article. In many ways, a sermon is built upon that reality. You know the difference between an indefinite and a definite article. Indefinite, there can be many of these. Jesus' argument is that I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other. He emphasizes that in the phrase that follows. Jesus is not providing an option. He is providing the answer. What is that answer? He first says he is the way. If you would have listened to Jesus when he first spoke, you would have heard him talk about himself in the way, and you would have thought a highway. You got here in Fulton this morning... That's the way you got here. Maybe at some point you had to take a different road, Honey Creek, or maybe a conservation. Maybe you had to take some other way. But Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way. What does that mean about him? In Luke chapter 20, verse 21, we read, And they asked Jesus, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly. And it is true when we think about Jesus as the way, part of the way, part of the means by which we understand Jesus is that Jesus reveals to us the will of God. You might think of all the things that Jesus taught in the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels. You can think of the Golden Rule or perhaps a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus definitely teaches us about the ways that is the paths of God. Additionally, the Bible says in the Gospels, emphasize that Jesus guides us along that way. Luke chapter 1, verse 79, it says, Jesus came to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus shows us the way to go. He guides us into that way. And it is even true that Jesus dedicated for us a new and living way. That is, He opened a way to us uh, opened a way for us to the Father. Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 20 say, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now, the reason I note those three descriptions of Jesus and what it would mean for him to be the way, he gives us truth, He guides us along that way of truth. He opens a way of truth to the Father. He gives us access. All of that may seem sort of blurry in your mind. You may think, well, what does that actually mean? It sounds like you're reading Bible verses, but how does that explain Jesus as the way? In this verse, Jesus is not describing simply something that he does, what you should hear in this verse is all of those things that Jesus does are built upon who Jesus is. He is the way. We're to put it in this fashion. If you were to ask most people and maybe even many of us in this room, what is Christianity about? You would say it's a religion that has teaching. And Christian faith definitely has teaching. There's no doubt about it. We heard this morning in our call to repentance about the teaching that we are to follow about prayer. But Jesus is not claiming in this verse to simply be another teacher of good things. Jesus is not a teacher of religion or a teacher of morality, first of all. He does teach us about those things, but that's not who he is we again build on that notion, we are not saved. We are not compelled to follow Jesus and put our trust in him because we believe in Reformed theology or we have a catechism where this is just the way that we were raised. All those things may be good and helpful, but they do not lead to this compelling sense of following Jesus. There is only one way Jesus claims that we are saved, and it is not an idea, it's not a teaching, it is a real being, it is Jesus himself, God come to earth, who lived and died for you and me and made it possible for you to have peace with God. That's what it means for Jesus to be the way. He is the one who makes it possible for you to have peace with the one who made you. That doesn't minimize the importance of other Bible doctrine. It makes them all the more important. He is to say that all the Bible doctrine and the ways of life that you may associate with Christianity may be all good and fine, and I would encourage you to walk in them and to believe them, but none of that is compelling unless Jesus is actually who he claims to be. Unless Jesus is uniquely able to give us peace with the God who made us, all of that other parts, all the other parts of Christianity simply are another way for us to be improved as human beings. And that's not compelling. It shouldn't be compelling. If you have thought about Christianity this morning primarily as a way of you doing the right things, you have missed the central tenet of the Christian faith. It is not about you, first of all, doing the right thing. It is about the one who opened a way to you of peace with your God. Do you hear that? That's entirely different. It's not even the same religion. The difference between doing the right thing and trusting in the way in the one who did the right thing and opened a way to you with the Father Is a difference between self-directed worship and then worship that actually honors Jesus Christ. Now let me pause there for just a moment. I've been so passionate about that, I'm starting to lose my voice. I feel like there's very little I could ever tell you that's more important than that. And let me contrast for just a moment the difference between what I've just said and the way that many of us Might think about Christianity and other options in our world. Many of us are searching for a purpose. We're thinking, what is the point of all this? How do I find why I'm really here? That is not just a question when you are growing up into adulthood. It is a legitimate question, it really is. Maybe the form it takes is, what kind of job should I have? Should I get married? All those kinds of questions are legitimate questions. We should try to answer them. But do you realize what Jesus is telling you in this verse? This phrase, I am the way, is meant to give you a purpose that governs the rest of life. It is the great thing after which everything else falls in order. Let me press it home to you in this way. I talked to someone very dear to me, not a member of our church within the last week. He has struggled. He's reached 30 years of age. Dear friend, someone I love deeply, he has thought at various points in his life, if I only could find a wife, I would finally find exactly what I need in life and everything else will be fine. Guess what? Those of you who are married, do you dare do it? Raise your hand if your marriage partner is everything you hoped he or she would be and you finally found fulfillment. Of course you're not going to raise your hand. As wonderful as that partner is, that partner has all these weaknesses. Marriage is an awesome gift. I love my wife. She is incredible. Beside Jesus, the greatest gift the Lord has ever given me. But she has failures. Failures. Or maybe, he said, the problem is not that I haven't gotten married. I just haven't found the right job. I think he's on his fifth job since he graduated from college. He's looking here and there and everywhere. Can't find the right job. I said to him, maybe the problem is not a wife. Maybe it's not a problem with the job. Maybe it is that you don't know what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you're thinking of Jesus as a way of life instead of Jesus as the way himself. You're thinking about it as a series of commitments you make to be a good person, to believe the right things, but you don't know the Jesus who can give you a place of peace within his world, the greatest purpose that the world has ever known. Well, I wish you could have listened to that conversation because at the end he says, He said, hmm, very interesting. Let me think about that. If you need to think about it, go ahead. There's no reason not to think about it. In fact, I'd encourage you to think about it very, very deeply. I've got to go on because there are two more ways in which Jesus compels us to follow him, to put our trust in him. He also says he is the truth. Not only is the way, that is, he shows us how to have peace with God. He gives us the greatest purpose that you will ever have in life. He also says he is the truth. He is the truth. He is not a truth that is one among many. He is the truth. Or let me put it this way, he is the only truth. You might say, Pastor, that's overstated. I'm sure there are other truths as well. What I am not saying is that you can find out every single thing about life just by reading the Bible. One of the things I love about being married is my wife is a great scientist. I'm not going to tell you some of the interesting facts that I know about science because some of them are kind of gross but you're not going to find them in the Bible. I don't mean that the Bible is exhaustive in that sense. What I mean is that the Bible is exhaustive and Jesus Christ himself can claim to be the truth in the sense that the greatest things we need to know in life, the things that matter most, Jesus can give the truth about. In fact, again... This theme of Jesus being the truth and bringing the truth is foundational to the gospel of John. John 1, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. John 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and Truth came through Jesus Christ. What is the Bible telling us about Jesus and truth? The Bible is saying there's a great contrast here between everything that came before Jesus and anything beside Jesus and who Jesus is. As far as the Old Testament goes, it was any manner of worship that did not lead people to Jesus. Everything else was a shadow anticipating Jesus The Old Testament system was not a system in itself. As a rival to Jesus, it pointed forward to Jesus. And that is true of any other, any other truth as well. Any truth that would rival Jesus. If there is any truth, any claim that would claim to lead you apart from the truth of Jesus. I'm here to tell you this morning, you may pursue those things. You may try them all out. Some of us have done exactly that. We have tried to find that truth in various places, and we have found that there is no truth at all. Jesus has the ability to show you what is true and right in a way that no one else can. I would love to spend the next half hour, maybe an hour, explaining that to you. And if you listen to me and you say, oh, I have that great desire to know what you're referring to, I'd love to talk to you about it more. Or even better, I'd encourage you to read John fully. Because what you will notice in the Gospel of John, and listen to this carefully is that Jesus is not presented in the Gospel of John as simply another religious alternative. He's presented in the Gospel of John, the scriptures as a whole, in a way that was so critical for me. When I was about 16, 17 years of age, same age as many of you, I remember being in college and thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, why is it that I would believe in him? Is it because I was raised in a Christian home and if I didn't believe, my parents would be disappointed? I love my parents. I would have disappointed them. Is it because it's simply the manner of life that belongs to the religious community I'm a part of? Is that why? And I trust what the Lord led me to understand is the same thing. He will lead you to understand when you read the Scriptures, especially the Gospel of John, that Jesus is not simply one to be believed in because it makes sense to you. Jesus is to be believed in because He is compelling truth. Or to put it this way, not to believe in Him would be foolish It is to simply recognize, as i said at the beginning of this sermon, something that is obviously true. Now, if you believe I've overstated that, you're welcome to challenge me in your own mind, but do not do so apart from actually reading who Jesus is. In fact, I'm going to raise the stakes even a little further for you. If you're someone who's filled with that doubt, Can Jesus actually be true? How about all these other things? Are they not true? There are billions of people in the world who do not believe that Jesus is true. Are they all wrong? Shouldn't we at least be open to the fact that this works for us, but there are others who believe in other things and it works well for them? Why does Jesus claim he is the truth? What I'm going to challenge you with this morning is not to simply remain with a lazy question. If you honestly ask yourself, is Jesus' claim to be the truth, that is to be able alone to provide us with what we need to know our God eternally, if you wonder if that's true, do not simply wonder. Again, I would ask you, to read, to study, to really understand, to talk with others about whether this claim that Jesus makes is a truly valid claim. What Jesus is claiming, and I want to say this as strongly as possible, Jesus is claiming that he alone is the one in whom you will find ultimate truth. In a world that is confused, you're not even sure if what you're watching or hearing is true. Jesus claims that truth in a way that no one else really can. And again, I'd encourage you, don't take my word for it. Find if that's true. Finally, Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. This is also a reoccurring theme in the Gospel of John. In John chapter one, verses one through four, it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men." Again, the Gospel of John, in that verse, and here as well, brings before us a great contrast, a contrast of ultimate proportions of all the things that you can find life in, that you can find joy in. Jesus is claiming to be life in that way that is exclusive. That unless you know him and you have life in him, you'll be searching in all the wrong places for something only he can provide. Think of the ways that you might search, of all the things you might purchase in this life some of which may claim to make your life rich and full. Imagine my wife and I going to Florida and being sold on the notion if you only had more sun and you had a little time to yourself, everything will seem right again. How many of you have been to Florida and back and discovered when you came back, life is still here? Or imagine purchasing something else, something as simple as a brand-new Corvette Expecting that will do it for you. I haven't ever bought a brand new Corvette, but I bought other things that I assumed would do the same. Or maybe you pinned your hope on that relationship or just the right job. Or whatever it is, we expect that to be life-giving. You might even go to Extreme Measures to try and acquire and preserve that thing Because you believe, unless you have it, you can't really have life. Jesus is making that sort of claim. To give you life, spiritual life, a life of peace and fellowship with your creator that no one else can give. He makes that point to Nicodemus early in this gospel where he says to him, You have to be born twice. Physically, you're born. But spiritually, you need to be reborn again so that you are living in peace and fellowship with your God. Unless you are born a second time, you're never going to find it. Where have you been looking for that life, friend? I have seen people and I know people who have been in the most difficult circumstances imaginable and yet have that life Because they're not looking for it all around them. They found it in Jesus. That is not to wish away the problems you're facing. The problems you're facing are real. That relationship is really hard. The fact that money is short is really true. It doesn't make those things go away, but it does give this to you. That is, when you have that life in God, you can look at whatever your life entails whatever your world looks like, and you can say with absolute confidence, I have no reason to fear because this God who owns all of this and the God who's in control of all this is not against me what he is. He is for me in Jesus Christ. He is my God. And my friend, if you look for that in any other place... You'll be missing the one who's capable of providing you this new birth. Only Jesus is able to do this. Only Jesus claims to do this. This Jesus can give you this life here and for eternity. I'm reminded as I close this morning a conversation between Jesus and his his disciples that occurred earlier in this book. There was a time when Jesus taught that life is only found through his life and death. And he told the crowds that so explicitly that unless they participated in his life and death, unless they were joined to him as though they were eating him and tasting him, not that they literally were, but they were so joined in that way, unless they were found in him, they could not be saved and then we read that many turned away they could not bear to answer that question in the way jesus was compelling them to it was too hard it was too difficult then jesus said to the 12 do you also want to go away but simon peter answered lord to whom shall we go You alone have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from Him, there is no way to the Father. Amen. Father, we hear these words... And we pray that they would not be merely words that hang in the air for a few seconds and then disappear. But as we prayed before the service, at the beginning of the service, and now we pray again, your spirit would be working in us to see Jesus as he is, one who is compelling, one who's rich, one who can do for us what no one else can. Father, as much as I may stress this and try with everything in my being to make this clear, Apart from your work in this room and your work across the internet and wherever people are hearing, these words will be meaningless. And that gives me such great hope, Lord, that it does not rest on us, but we can look to the power of the God who formed the entire world by the word of his mouth to also make this word effective. And so we do that and ask that you would in Jesus' name, amen.